This is All Dogs Go to Heaven. Milo, Ashley's 11-year-old dog, is gone. Now, Milo was a good dog. Milo was absolutely full of 100% unconditional love. Whenever anyone was at the door, he barked like a guard dog. And then when I'd open the door, he would push past me with his tail wagging, and his tail pretty much like wagged his whole body. But he would push past me with his tail wagging and bury his nose up our visitor's ass. At first, I kind of tried to stop him, and then I was like, fuck it, man, go for it. And whenever there was a thunderstorm, Storm, and whenever the thunderstorms would start coming and the thunder would crack, Milo would walk around with his head down, trembling, with his tail tucked so hard between his legs it looked like it was inside his ass. It was kind of pathetic, and I felt sorry for him. And he'd always come around and try to coil up and like coil up and like actually be on you. And at first I was like, oh come on. And then I was, and eventually I was like, meh, okay, come here, Milo. Milo was a beagle hound. He had big floppy ears, he was medium size, and he had lips that hung like hairy beef curtains. And he had this weird way of drooling where it would go about three or four inches and it would just kind of hang there and get thicker. It reminded me of there was something about Mary, the way it would just hang and dribble. So there was always kind of something about Milo, something special. And he always could sense that something was up. And I remember one time I went out to go landscape and we have about two and a quarter acres. And so for the last several years, it's kind of been a thing. I'm trying to like reclaim some backyard and so there's like thorns and stuff like that and I get all stuck and bleeding and all that kind of stuff and in the hot summer I'd sit down maybe like watch the news or something and then Milo would just come over and he just started licking my legs he would lick the thorns and the nettles out of them and I don't know if he just like tasting my blood or sweat or whatever it was kind of nice and I think it might have actually like I think it kind of helped heal because it really didn't itch after that and it really didn't really didn't hurt anymore and so every time I'd work in the yard I'd be like sticking my leg out at him and he'd just kind of walk over and get after it he was a good dog and we kind of knew something was up and it happened about the same time that I found out that my CPAP has been blowing carcinogens into my lungs for the last 11 or 12 years and I did a podcast I talked about that in the time value of mortality and we found out that Milo had a tumor on his spleen and when we found that out, Ashley was looking at me, and it's really weird, but I kind of knew what she was thinking. I knew she was going to say that she wanted to get surgery for Milo to remove it. And Ashley and I are polar opposites. I mean, she is an empath, and I'm a psychopath. And those are very different things. Because like, I remember one time our neighbors, she was an anesthesiologist, and he was an ex-Green Beret guy that I don't even know what he was doing. And they had like a bunch of animals. And they had no kids, but they had a bunch of animals. And we are going to watch their dogs while they went on vacation and she said hey if anything should happen you know grant's had cancer before so if anything's happens and we're not there spare no expense and we will pay you back just do everything you can to take care of them okay and then like and then this summer we went on vacation we had somebody come house sit we had my sister-in-law house sitting right before she bailed and left and took a bunch of our shit and money i said to her i said hey if anything should happen to milo if anything at all should happen about 50 bucks is what we're going to do. I think Ashley punched me a few times for that one. But anyway, I could see that when we found out that Milo was sick and he had a growth on his spleen, that getting surgery and trying to fix him was the only option. So I didn't even bother wasting time to have the discussion. I just asked her, can they do surgery on him to fix him? And Milo loved Ashley the most. 
When Milo was a puppy, he was a rescue. He was pulled out of a dumpster until Milo was a foster dog and Ashley was just kind of taking care of him until he found an odor. But Ashley was like, nope, I'm keeping Milo. And Milo never forgot that, I don't think. Because when she would go somewhere, when she would go to the store, Milo would just sit there and his ears were like radar. And he would hear her pull up and he would start baying and his tail would start swinging and he would be like, yeah, that was fucking annoying. But now, kind of miss it. But not really. But I miss him bigly. Well, not really. It's kind of a lie. But I wish I missed him. Because see, the thing is, is, I have a really hard time, a really difficult time, maintaining a meaningful connection to people and things. And for some reason, it's different from my kids. My kids really ground me. But I just have a hard time hurting for Milo. Now, the same is not true for Ashley. Ashley was a wreck for a while. For like week. She's still not quite over it. It's been a week and she's still a wreck. And Ashley told me, she said, I need you to deal with the kids. I need some space to grieve. I'm having a really hard time. And she had tears pouring out of her and she was just absolutely a mess. And I thought to myself, okay, she needs some space. She needs me to take care of stuff. I was like, no problem. I got it. And so for a couple days, I mean, I was running stuff. I was doing everything. A few days later, she was in the bed and I sat down next to her and I was rubbing her shoulder. I was like, how you doing? And then she burst into tears and she said, how could you leave me when I'm feeling this way? I said, I thought you told me you needed some space. You needed to grieve and you need me to handle stuff. And she looked at me with a blank expression and said, how could you ignore me again? So I don't know if you know this or not, but when a woman says something, she doesn't actually mean it. She doesn't actually mean the words that she says. That is a fact. I think what they really want to do is they want to cry in front of you. And they probably want you to cry with them too. And so I've been practicing how to fake cry. So I'm going to be ready next time. And there's going to be a next time because I kind of called this whole thing back in November. I was pretty sure that Milo didn't have much time left. So on Ashley's birthday, I went out to a breeder. And for a couple years, you know, off and on, Ashley would talk about how much she liked golden doodles. I didn't know what a golden doodle was. But I remembered from our discussions from way back when that she really liked golden doodles. So in November, I went and found a breeder and I was looking at golden doodles. And I don't know if you know this or not, but golden doodles are fucking expensive. And that is a fact. So I surprised her on her birthday and we did a FaceTime and I said, okay, which golden doodle do you want? So two months ago, she picked out Luna, who's the golden doodle puppy who's been who's been peeing and pooping all over the house for the last couple months. Then Milo died a couple months later, and this is just another one of those circumstances where I just look myself in the mirror and go, I hate being right all the time. But one thing I noticed is that everybody kind of deals with grief differently. Now, Savannah, Kuki, my youngest, she's five, she'll come up and just go, Daddy, I'm sad. I miss Milo. And she really is sad, she's telling the truth. But weirdly, what she's really focused on is Ashley's grief. And so she says, Daddy, can you help me draw a picture of Milo? She said, I wanna give mommy a picture of Milo. So I helped her draw Milo and she gave Ashley the picture that she'd drawn. And Kuki is very special. She has a superpower. She emanates emotional radiation. I mean it, I'm not even kidding. When she's sad, everybody in the room is sad. And when she's happy, everybody in the room. Doesn't matter what you're going through, whatever it is, you're gonna forget as long as you're in her presence. She will make you happy. And she's not really doing anything 
anything special. You just look at her skipping around with her eyes and her smile and her hair and her pigtails and like it's over. Man, you're in a good mood and that's all there is to it. And that is a fact. Now, Bella's different. Bella's a lot like me. Mommy, what are you so sad about? We've got Luna. What are you so sad about, Mom? Now, Bella is fierce. She is a predator. And every night I sit down with my kids and we have sort of this before bed ritual. Just like I talked about in an earlier podcast episode called Dads and Family Part 1, Who's Your Daddy? We talk about our day and what we liked and what we didn't like and who made bad choices and who made good choices and what we liked the most and what made us feel the best. And it's cool. And it's also how you find out what's going on on the school bus and what's going on in class. And I'll never forget it. It was like the first day of school and Bella had a pink dress on with like sparklies and a big bow in her hair and like unicorns and shit. I mean, Ashley dresses them to the nines. And Bella says, Andrew said my dress was ugly. Did you see my dress, daddy? I said, yeah, baby, I saw your dress. And she goes, well, what's the matter with him? He makes bad choices, daddy. I was like, yeah, he does. He makes real bad choices. And the next time he says that to you, I want you to say, well, what color do you like, Andrew? Do you like blue? Do you like blue dresses? Hey, everybody, Andrew likes blue dresses. Does somebody have a blue dress that Andrew can borrow? Because I'm not going to let her take any shit from Andrew. And that is a fact. Now, Evan, he's my oldest. He's probably got most of my autism. And he loves video games so much, he's getting straight A's in school. Because I told him, I said, man, if you get straight A's, I'm not going to mess with you play all the video games you want. Because Evan's always kind of been like that. He wants what he wants, and when he really wants something, he will kill everything between him and that. And that is a fact. He was like four years old, almost five years old, not potty trained. But man, he loved cars. He loved McQueen. You want to know how I got him to get potty trained? I bought him this awesome bright red pair of McQueen underpants. I said, here you go, Evan. Put these on. He loved them. I said, okay, if you poop or pee in them, they'll be broken. I'm going to have to throw them away. He was potty trained. It's just kind of the way he is. If you can find out what he wants, then, I mean, he is a juggernaut. You just cannot stop him. Now, Rex, he's my 10-year-old boy, and Rex is different. Rex is quiet intellectual. He's got ADHD like me too, but he holds it all in like me. We're Marvel movie buddies, and for the longest time, I was an officer in the army, and he thought I was Captain America, and that was awesome. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but in Avengers Age of Ultron, in the very beginning, there's this fight between the Avengers and Hydra. In this one part, Captain America like throws his shield and it bounces off like three guys' faces, and then he does this like cartwheel over the bike, and he chucks the bike and pancakes this Jeep with it. My pop was over, and Rex looks over at Pop, and he goes, that's my dad. And while everybody's processing this Milo grief, and I can see stuff is going on, I know he's troubled. And I talked to him about it, and he was worried more about people dying. Yeah, he's sad about Milo. He was thinking harder about how bad he's going to feel in the future when I die. But I told him, hey, you don't need to worry about any of that because our souls are immortal. And that is a fact. And here's how I know. I know because we give off heat, which is black body radiation, which is the same radiation as Hawking radiation. We are cosmic librarians. Our consciousness exists on the surface of the black hole that surrounds our universe. It's a 2D holographic surface and it encodes a 3D universe inside. And it's that 3D universe that's inside that we see in our minds. But our minds are really receiving information from the 2D holographic surface of a black hole and our consciousness on the black hole communicates and translates to our body through heat and when we die 
Our heat will leave the surface of the black hole, carrying with it the information in our DNA and our memories. And that energy and that information cannot be destroyed. And that is a fact. And the next black hole that we'll see each other on, no matter when we die, will be heaven. Don't take my word for it. Listen to what Dr. Matt O'Dowd from PBS Spacetime has to say about whether we're living on the 2D holographic surface of a black hole or not. The black hole information paradox, it's one of the biggest unsolved problems in physics. And the quest for its solution may have completely overturned our understanding of the fundamental nature of the universe. It may have revealed that the universe is a hologram. Atuft realized that the three-dimensional gravitational and quantum mechanical interior of a black hole could be fully described by interactions on a 2D surface that did not include gravity. This led him to realize that the union of quantum mechanics and gravity may require that the entire 3D universe be a projection on a 2D structure. Leonard Susskind formalized this idea in the context of string theory, in what we now know as the holographic principle. It may imply that the entire universe is a hologram. Under a slight modification of general relativity called Einstein-Cartan theory, it's predicted that the formation of a rotating black hole gives birth to an entire new universe, accessible by a wormhole. Okay, so how is it that our consciousness could be recording information in our memories and DNA on the surface of the black hole? The gravitational field of a black hole is expected to distort the surrounding quantum fields. That distortion looks like particles flowing away from the black hole, and the energy to create those particles must come from the mass of the black hole itself. What type of particles? According to Hawking's calculation, those particles should come out with energies that follow the black body spectrum. In other words, Hawking radiation should look exactly like the thermal radiation of heat. If we assume that both general relativity and quantum field theory are correct as we currently understand them, then Hawking radiation must exist. The information of everything becomes imprinted on the Hawking radiation itself, so it stays in this universe. No new universe is required. The solution began with physicist Gerard Atuft. He did a more careful calculation and found it distorts the horizon, creating a sort of lump at the point of crossing. Those distortions should contain all of the information. In principle, those distortions could potentially influence outgoing Hawking radiation, allowing them to carry away their information. But how do we know the Hawking radiation that our bodies are given off right now is quantumly entangled with our consciousness on the surface of the black hole? And how do we know that when we die, our consciousness leaves the surface of the black hole as Hawking radiation? How do we know? Let's see what Dr. O'Dowd has to say. We saw that the very foundations of quantum mechanics demand that quantum information be preserved forever. Black hole complementary introduces yet another paradox. It suggests that each particle of Hawking radiation should be simultaneously entangled with the interior of the black hole and with all past Hawking radiation. So what does quantum entanglement with all past Hawking radiation look like if we are on the surface of a black hole, recording information, history, and our memories and DNA? How are we quantumly entangled with past Hawking radiation? How are we quantumly entangled with our ancestors, with our parents, with our grandparents who left the hologram before we did? DNA. Yep, we're quantumly entangled with all past Hawking radiation and all future Hawking radiation through our DNA. That is a fact. 
So it looks like our consciousness is surfing over the 2D holographic surface of a black hole encoding a 3D universe inside. Or our consciousness experiences the 3D universe like we do here listening to this podcast orbiting in sonic gravity. And somehow it's the heat coming off of our body. Our heat is quantumly entangled to our heat on the surface of the black hole. And when we die and our bodies go cold, our heat leaves the surface of the black hole and carries the information that we have in our DNA and our memories with us. And that information and that energy cannot be destroyed. And that is a fact. So when you realize that our universe is contained within a black hole and our consciousness is energy running over the two-dimensional holographic surface of the black hole, and that we are cosmic librarians. We are the universe's mechanism for the conservation of information. And we are recording information about this universe in our memories and in our DNA. And when we die, our information leaves the surface of the black hole as hawking radiation, carrying that information wherever it needs to go. And the flow of time is what gives us the change in the hologram. The intensity of the gravity and the energy there would force everything to be totally uniform. Just like the reason that all planets are kind of basically round. The energy has got to be even all over the surface. So it makes sense that the little piece of the hologram that you're touching, the energy in that little area must be conserved, right? It just goes with all the laws of physics. The energy in your spot on the hologram has to be constant. Do you see why time flowing out of the black hole creates psychic pressure on your consciousness? You see, because time flowing through the surface of the black hole is changing the hologram. That's what you notice. That's what you see is the passage of time. But in your spot of the hologram, the energy is fixed. And when you're conscious, your consciousness is active. So your consciousness is using energy, taking up a certain amount of energy to run your brain. But the hologram doesn't change for free. It takes energy to change the hologram. Time needs energy to change the hologram. And I think the flow of time creates pressure underneath the hologram. Time pressure. Time is trying to escape the hologram, but it needs the energy of the hologram to do it. And if your consciousness is occupying that energy, then time isn't able to pass through the black hole and change the hologram. So the time is jammed up. So the longer you're conscious, the longer that you're hogging up all the energy in that spot of the hologram, the slower the hologram can change and the flow of time is being choked. Because the more energy your consciousness takes, the less energy is available for time to change the hologram. That is a fact. How can we do experiments about consciousness? Consciousness. Hmm. Consciousness on the surface of the black hole. What is consciousness quantumly entangled to? Hmm. Probably a brain. I'm going to go with brain. And in the sonic gravity theory of everything, according to psychic pressure into the arrow of time, to run our consciousness, what does it take? It takes energy. And if we're taking energy, then what doesn't have the energy? Yet time doesn't have the energy. So what is the quantumly entangled mechanism in the 3D universe that uses energy? What is it? What element of the brain uses energy that varies directly with the amount of energy that my consciousness would take off of the hologram? 
I'm gonna go with neurons, right? Because neurons fire energies in your brain. So I'm gonna go ahead and say that a high neuron density is going to sap the energy off the surface of the hologram such that time will be starved for energy. And that means that time will pass extremely slowly while that brain, while that high neuron density brain is conscious. And remember, when your time moves slower, you're kind of like the flash where you're just like going normally and everybody's like, slow motion. So when your time's moving slow, that means you're really going fast when they look at you. But they look like they're standing still and you just feel normal. So I'm going to go out on a limb with a hypothesis that the neural density of brain matter, a high neuron density of brain matter is going to choke the hologram more than a lower neuron density of brain matter. Let's try that. So we're going to look on the internet. We're going to find information about the number of neurons and we're going to calculate the neural density of brains of certain animals. And we're just going to see if they're fast or slow. Our hypothesis is, is that a creature with a high neuron density brain is going to move much faster than anything else. And guess what? It's true. Bigly. So I looked and guess what? The human brain has 86 billion neurons, but the human brain weighs 1,614 grams. So that yields a 53,283,767 neurons per gram ratio. 53 million. Now the fastest human being on record is Hussein Bolt, and he can take four strides of a human body length per second, which is 24 feet. That translates to 16 miles per hour. That is a fact. And then I looked at bumblebees. Now, if you look at the shape of a bumblebee, a bumblebee, given its body and wings, is about the human equivalent of Chris Christie trying to flap garbage can lids to fly. But the bee gets it done. Now, a honeybee weighs two milligrams and its brain is 4% of its body weight. So the bee's brain weight is 0. 0.00008 grams. Now the bee has a million neurons. So if you want the neuron density in neurons per gram, you divide a million by 0. 0.00008. And then you find out that the neuron density of a bee's brain in neurons per gram is 12.5 trillion neurons per gram. Yeah. And that is a fact. The bee can travel 225 times its body length in a second, which equates to 920 miles per hour at human size. And that too is a fact. And then I took a look at the hummingbird. Now the hummingbird is built for speed. Now the bees like Chris Christie, double fists and trash can lids, and the hummingbird is like exactly the opposite of that. Now the hummingbird's brain has a hundred million neurons in it. The hummingbird weighs four grams and its brain is 4% of its body weight. So the hummingbird's brain weight is 0.16 grams. So the hummingbird's neuron density of its brain is 625 million neurons per gram, which is about 10 times a human brain. But a hummingbird is also built for speed. It's aerodynamic and it can fly 385 times its body length in a second, which equates to 1,575 miles miles per hour at human size. That is ridiculous. But what's really interesting and something that corroborates the idea that a high neuron density brain chokes the hologram of energy and starves time of energy so that when the hummingbird is conscious, time is being strangled and time flows through the hologram very slowly. What corroborates this is that when the hummingbird is awake, 
Its heart beats at 1260 beats per minute. It also needs to feed about every 10 or 12 minutes to avoid losing weight. But when it sleeps, its heartbeat slows down to 60 beats per minute and it sleeps for six to eight hours just like humans do. And that is a fact. So when the hummingbird is unconscious, its vital signs are just like human vital signs and it sleeps for just as long as we do. But when it's conscious, its activity, its metabolism, its wing beat speed, its heart beats per minute just goes off the charts when it's awake, when it's conscious. So our hypothesis has correctly predicted that a high neuron density brain translates to wicked fast physical activity. And the interesting thing is, is that it all shuts off when the hummingbird goes to sleep. And that is a fact. So it's plausible that the hummingbird's consciousness on the black hole surface, because of the high neuron density brain it has, chokes the energy from the surface of the hologram so selfishly that it leaves time very little energy to use to change the hologram. Put another way, underneath the hummingbird, time flows under the conscious hummingbird very slowly. And that is a fact. And that's why it looks wicked fast to us. And that too is a fact. And the reason that I know that Milo has a soul just like we do is because if the hummingbird has a consciousness and slows time because of its neuron density, and that means Milo is on the hologram with us too. And that is a fact. And because our souls, vibe, chi, energy, spirit, or whatever you want to call it, is carrying information in our memories and our DNA. When we leave the holograms hawking radiation, our energy can't be destroyed and that too is a fact. And everybody's leaving the hologram. Nobody stays behind. It's just that Milo went first. And don't forget, Milo's a hound dog. He never gets lost and he's gonna be looking for us. And when we leave the hologram, I guarantee you, he's gonna be right there. His tail will be wagging his whole body and he'll be going boo looking for Ashley. And it's heaven, right? So he's gonna be sniffing asses like it's all you can eat at the Golden Corral. Those hairy beef curtains dripping four inches of something about Mary. His lung won't be perforated. He'll have his liver back. He'll have so much to show us. But we haven't lost him. He just left first. And we're gonna see him again. And Patrick Arnold will be there too. Fetching bottle caps and doing cheetah flips. Sitting in chairs during social events like he owns the place. Just wait, you'll see. And each one of us is going to leave the holographic surface of the black hole as hawking radiation at some point. We're going to go in different places and at different times, but one thing is certain. I'll never leave you. I'll always be close. And like Milo, I'm going to die before you do, but I'll prepare you the same way that you will prepare your children. And when it's your time, don't worry. I'll find you, and I'll have so much to show you. And before long, we'll all be back together again on the primordial black hole, and it'll be paradise. And you can be certain that Milo will be there too because all dogs go to heaven and that is a fact.